Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver. I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Excited to be here for another episode of True Crime Paranormal or not. <laughs> A little different. Yep. <laughs> well, we keep getting that question in our YouTube uh, questions, and we just have to explain yeah. that sometimes we're paranormal and sometimes we're not. But we are always mm -hmm. true crime. Totally. And sometimes we're taking cases where we're doing the psychic work and sometimes we're not. And, you know, that that's been a question about this case over and over again. Mm -hmm. So the case, of course, we're talking about is the Daybell case. So what we need you guys to know is that we have covered this case extensively and will continue to mm -hmm. not necessarily because it was paranormal, though. I think when you take a look at Lori and Chad's beliefs, there is plenty of, you know, metaphysics and you know paranormal stuff thrown in mm -hmm. but there's a different reason and that's because this case started a few blocks from my house I live in Rexburg right. where this happened Christy and I were raised in this town Christy lives 30 miles away we yep. understand this case in ways that others may not uh the children went missing from yeah a townhouse not far from me and so ever since Tylee and JJ went missing last September, uh, when the news broke that these kids were missing in the end of November, Christy and I have paid a lot of attention to this case for good reason. Yes. The other reason that this case, uh, that we felt like we'd be really good and unique uh, ambassadors of this case is that we are former Mormons. And you have to understand a few things about Mormonism to really understand what the hell has happened here. Yeah, very yeah. key to understand the belief system that underlies. Absolutely. You know, and we know this is not mainstream Mormonism and Mormons aren't no. killing <laughs> their kids. And we're not right. saying that at all. But there are some things about the culture of a Mormon society that do help to explain some of the stuff in this case that we have a unique yeah. perspective on. So, yeah, that's so much so, so much so. And looking from the outside in, I think a lot of things make no sense at all. Mm -hmm. But if you live here and you grew up in this culture, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, so yeah. we oh, want yeah. we want to make that available to everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you uh, are wondering why we're, you know, covering this case as the Psychic Sisters, but we haven't done a lot of psychic work on it, that's why. We yep. also never did do a psychic read on where we thought the children were, not publicly, on where we thought the children were. And there's a reason for that. There is some ethics uh, that Christy and I don't like to cross. And, you know, you guys have seen many YouTube videos and, and whatnot of psychics making their predictions. And that's fine if that's where they're comfortable. But in an ongoing case, where there are family members combing the internet for information that are hurt daily by the things that people are saying and putting out there. There's yeah. an ethical line that Christy and I both feel should not be crossed. No. We would have never publicly predicted if we thought the children were alive or not or where we thought they were because there's no ethics in that. No, if this no and it does harm. It does harm to people. Yeah. And it's not right. You know, if, if you're trying to profit off from this case by doing things like that, then you're mm -hmm. a tremendously unethical person. And also yeah. predicting death as a psychic is not okay. No. Ever. Not if, okay. If this is a cold case that's a few years down the road and right. we're taking a look at it, because we do cases like that all the time. Yeah. 
that's very different than a case that is ongoing, in your face, present. There should be some care. There should be some care. And we've tried to, you know, yes. provide plenty of that. So mm -hmm. hopefully that answers a few of the questions we've gotten in our chat. You can agree with this or not. That's fine. We, you know, we're not here to sell anybody anything. We're mm -hmm. really here to just report this case as we have seen it. So yep. as you all know, or probably know, uh, it's been now, what, about 10 days since the uh, remains of the children were found on Chad Daybell's property. Chad was taken into custody that day. He was charged with two counts of uh, concealing human remains, uh, potentially destroying human remains, uh, and so on. Now, there's not been a public uh, announcement about what we're talking about when it comes to destroying human remains. Though our take on that has been that, that one of the bodies was burned and potentially dismembered. Yeah. That's gory and gross, and I'm sorry, but that, that's what we know about that at this point. Um, it appears he did that to Tylee's body, but left JJ's body intact. And the whys of that, I'm sure, will come out eventually, but that's what we know at this point. Yeah. Uh, Chad was arraigned the next day in the Fremont County Courthouse. Uh, he His ba bail was set at $1 million, mm -hmm. and he has not bonded out. Uh, there's really no uh, potential of him bonding out. He would no. have to pay at least $100,000 to $150,000 to a bail bondsman that he wouldn't get back and have someone that would take that kind of a chance on him. It just doesn't look like that's going to happen. No, no one would take that chance on Lori. No. And now this is just further damning evidence. Uh, what we've what we've heard is that the bail bondsmen in the area are not interested in taking a risk on these people. Right. Partly because there are, as everyone you know is anticipating, there are many more charges coming. Yes. Yeah. No bail bondsmen going to take Idaho a chance. And potentially in other states as well. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no one's going to bond them out because. Uh, They've got all kinds of stuff coming down on their shoulders. So well, and they also already attempted to run once when they went to Hawaii, and and everybody right. knows that that's exactly what that was. Mm -hmm. So I just well, don't think that anybody wants to take that risk, right? And Chad actually kind of tried to run twice. So mm -hmm. the day that they came to search his uh, house and they offered the search warrant or, or presented the search warrant. Uh, the word on the street is that he sat in his car in his driveway and watched them dig for quite some time yeah. and then drove away. Yep. And there's a lot of questions about why wasn't he in cuffs the whole time? He could have been. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't he in custody? But he wasn't. They did not take him into custody. We're going to talk about that, our, our perception of that a little bit later here in the show. Yeah. But there's they didn't. Lots of culture around that, I think. And he drove away. He drove away. Uh, the other word on the street on that, of course, is that he called Lori and gave mm -hmm. her the 411 on what was happening. Right. So they were both in the know. Uh, and then, of course, he did drive away. Um, he was picked up, you know, not very far down the road. And that's when they did go ahead and take him into custody for questioning. And then later that evening, they went ahead and formally charged him. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, you know, it really it I think he was fleeing twice. Oh, he was in kind of a, I don't know, pathetic attempt, I guess, at this point. Yeah. You know, there's been some word out there that what he's saying is that he was driving to the police station to turn himself in. <laughs> That's um, what his lawyer you, said. Yeah, but when you consider how many were police were swarming around his house, I think that would have been easier done by just getting out of his car. 
Um, Come on, dude. His lawyer said, Mr. Daybell is innocent and looks forward to defending himself on these charges. Mr. Daybell, the remains of two children that have been missing since September were in your backyard, stupid. Yeah. Really? You look forward? Well, we look forward to it, too. We certainly do. Yeah. Little bit of vengeance coming out in us. <laughs> Hard not to at this Hard point. You know, the, the unknowns have been big for a mm-hmm. long time. But to have mm-hmm. at least some partial closure here about where the children's bodies were and, and at least for their families to know yeah. that they're not just out there in the world somewhere, you know, which, of course, was the lie that was told over and over again. Yeah. Um, they're in a I, bunker. They're in a bunker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Being, being protected. For yes. their own protection. Yes, mm-hmm. clearly the adults in their lives um, that were meant to protect them certainly did not do that. No, no. And as always, our hearts go out to Annie Cushing, to Colby, to Kay and Larry, and to all of the other friends, family members, church members, school teachers, yeah. and everyone else who these children, you know, who, whose lives were touched by these children and who are... Yeah unbelievably devastated by this entire situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a terrible, horrible thing with a horrible outcome. Yeah. And at this point, what we want to see is justice for those children Mm -hmm. and frankly, justice for the four adults who are also dead in this situation. Definitely. Definitely. So there's a couple of theories floating around that we wanted to shoot your way. Um, Mm -hmm. They are theories. So don't, don't think this is, you know, I don't know what to say about that. If I, we present a theory, we're going to tell you it's a theory, right? Mm-hmm. I have seen some things on some of these YouTube channels lately that have horrified me. People yeah. taking information that wasn't theirs to take. People mm-hmm. posting things that were just flat out lies. Like that whole, uh, you know, story that when Lori learned that Chad was arrested, that she totally trashed herself. Yes. Outright lie. There is absolutely no truth in that whatsoever. No. There's been a lot of things bandied around that are frustrating, but I'll well, tell you right now. Well, just a lot of attempt to further sensationalize. And I got to mm-hmm. say, why? Yeah. There's it's not, not sensationalized enough in this case. Yeah. You don't right? need it. Just tell the story. Right. You don't need all the bullshit at Absolutely. all. But there are a couple of things that have come to our attention that we think are worth sharing as theory. So the mm-hmm. first is... Uh, the day after this case uh, broke, the day after the search, my aunt sent, our, our, our aunt <laughs> sent me a picture of the crime scene that was from an aerial view from a drone or a helicopter that there's a puppy, a stuffed black puppy, like a stuffed animal, mm-hmm. is sitting there. And she said, what do you know about this? And I didn't know anything about it. And I did some looking and I did some talking and I talked to a friend of ours who has formerly run and is very familiar with running cadaver dogs. Now, they didn't run cadaver dogs on this case, so be clear on that. Mm-hmm. But I said, here, this is what got me. Way back when Lori and Chad fled to Hawaii, she abandoned a storage unit that had quite a bit of the children's belongings in it. And one of the things that was in there was a bunch of JJ's toys, yeah. inclu- including stuffed animals. And so when she showed me that, I went, is that JJ? And were they using this with the dog? Mm -hmm. And so I sent it over to our friend who is familiar with, you know, the running of tracking dogs and and cadaver dogs. And she 
because I wondered, in the case of cadaver dogs, do they actually use belongings? Because they're sniffing for decomp, not for a specific person, person, right? Necessarily. Um, but she agreed. She said absolutely. She said that even in decomp cases, because a lot of the cadaver dogs are also tracking dogs, mm-hmm. and they may have had tracking dogs there as well as cadaver dogs. So she said she felt like it was very probable that the puppy there did belong to JJ and they were using it with the dogs to help them to pick up his scent. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll include a picture, you know, of course, here in the video of that. But um, that's just something I haven't heard anyone else talk about and we felt like was interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that perhaps, you know, some of those belongings of the children that got left behind, maybe they got put to good use here to help find them. Yes, yes. And that's good. I'm glad because it was a... That was a, a horrifying revelation to find a an abandoned storage unit full of children's belongings. It seemed yeah. to, you know, point in a direction that none of us wanted to believe at the moment, you yep. know. For sure. Okay, so that was the one theory we wanted to share. The other has to do with how did they know where to go, right? Mm-hmm. How did they know to dig on Chad's property? There's a few theories, and I want to tie them up with a bow here. Mm-hmm. First of all, Chad has done a bunch of things to call attention to this property. You a know, particular Chad, part of this property. It's three acres, so mm-hmm. a particular area. Mm-hmm. Chad is no criminal mastermind, as we are learning, right? Yes. So back in March, uh, March and into April, he had applied for a loan to purchase a mobile home that he was approved for. Justin Lum reported on that. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Fremont County, where his home is located, and applied for a permit to place a mobile home on his property, on that back you know, area, that back acreage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fremont County said no. Well, in the meantime, he's been having a bunch of fires out there. Apparently he did last fall, some bonfires, and he's had a bunch this spring, And his neighbors thought that was weird because he's lived in that house for five years and he's never done that before. Mm -hmm. And so they have felt like he was fiddling with that property an awful lot uh, out there with fires late at night. And they thought it was really weird. And you got to know that the public have been eagle eye at this guy for the police Mm -hmm. ever since he came back from Hawaii. There are social media posts and reports to dispatch almost every day. About, hey, I saw him here. I saw him doing this just mm-hmm. in case. You need yeah. to know this. It People mm-hmm. in this community have been ready to just jump on this guy for a long time yeah. and, and have not tolerated him doing anything that didn't get immediately reported. Yeah. Well, and his neighbors have been really uncomfortable. Oh, really right? uncomfortable. And uh, he, he had a little fight with a neighbor that I think is just kind of funny. But uh, there are some women in our, in our area that have been they had t-shirts made up that said, uh, you know, where are the children or justice for JJ and Tylee and things like that. They'd been going out around his area. He lives way out in the country and hammering them onto telephone poles and Mm -hmm. power poles just to, you know, make sure he knows we know and we're watching you. Yeah. Well, they had put one on a power pole with permission in someone's yard, though the power pole, you actually can't hang these on it, but whatever. We digress. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so this lady, his neighbor looks out the window and he is on her property trying to pull that shirt off of her power pole. Yeah, they made these T-shirts and then they put them in cardboard and, yeah. and hung them up. Yeah. 
So he was actually going around and removing those. I mean, can you even with that? Anyway, she went outside and gave him the 411. <laughs> gave him the what for on that and told him to get the hell off her property and yeah. that it stays, which yeah. I just thought was pretty awesome. But we know that neighbors did call the police because after he was arrested, some of the neighbors started talking to the press and saying, yes, there have been some weird things. And yes, we did call the police about the fires. Mm-hmm. So those are the things we do know. But we want to introduce you to another theory that you don't know. Yeah. This has not been in the news. but. In reading through some comments on a news story, which you should never, ever do, but I do. And <laughs> you should definitely not do, but not in this case, important. And I saw a gentleman say that he had heard that a concrete company had been called out to the Daybell house and hired to pour a, p- a pad of cement and that they had alerted the police because they thought it was weird. And I thought that felt very compelling yeah. and, and felt uh, real. And so I call, I, I messaged the guy. I didn't call. I messaged this gentleman and I said, hey, I, you know, I've been reporting on this case. I felt like what you said was compelling. Can you give me more information? Well, he did. He found that on a blog uh, on Utes fan, like Utah State uh, sports fans. There was a person there who commented and said that indeed a construction company or sorry, a concrete company was hired to pour an RV pad. So an RV pad would be, you know, a cement pad for you to park your camper on. Right. And people around here, a lot of people have fifth wheels and campers and they have RV pads to park them on in the winter, you know, when they're not using them. So that's not unusual at all. But where he wanted to put it was unusual. It was in the middle of that acreage, not accessible by a driveway or by the road, which is where people would normally put something like that. Uh, Not near the house, which is also where people would- Next to a tree, which you wouldn't normally tree, Butted right up against a fire pit where, why would you put your RV pad there? You can't have a fire. Anyway, it was just weird. And 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 just the location really struck them as strange. And he was really adamant that it had to be exactly in this spot and that they called authorities because they thought that was weird. And they of course recognized him and his name and that uh, within just a few days of them making that call, this story broke, you know, and they they showed up with cadaver dogs. Now it's a theory, right? I, I can't prove it. I want you to know that. I'm not floating this to you as something that is the gospel truth. It is a theory. It feels very plausible to me. I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that have happened that around there that have called a lot of attention to that particular area. It's like he couldn't just leave it alone. You yeah. know? So. Yeah. He, he may have gone quite a lot longer before anyone figured out where the bodies were had he not you know, brought so much attention there over and over again. It's just strange. Yeah, he couldn't quit fiddling with it. Yeah. yeah. So is it, is he just stupid? Is he just that arrogant? You know, maybe a little of both. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the arrogance is shocking. However, not that surprising. Yeah. We'll get yeah. to more of that later. Definitely. So we have done a bunch of different episodes on this covering you know, one specific family member or person. And we realized we've never actually done 
a Chad Daybell episode. So right. in this one, we want to wrap that up a little bit and give you a little more background about who is this person and share a little bit more about uh, some things he's written and done. So Christy, you have a bio for us. Yeah. So I wanted to share a little bit about just him historically. Chad Daybell was born on August 11th, 1968. Uh, he is originally from Provo, Utah. He's lived here in our area for about five years. Um, he, let's see. On LinkedIn, he identifies himself as a sales executive at Falls Printing, which this was the first time I'd heard that. Falls Printing is a printing mm -hmm. company here in Idaho Falls, where I live. Uh, apparently, that job started in 2016 mm -hmm. and is still listed to, to present, although we don't know if he actually still works there. That tied something up for me as well, because Christopher Parrott, Christopher Parrott has been one of Chad's mm -hmm. good friends. He's been one of his only real supporters around here. He's right. spoken out very loudly on the internet about how everyone is wrong and Chad is innocent. And I mean, he's eating that crow now pretty sufficiently, but he you is. know that this, the kids are fine and this is just a media circus. Well, Christopher Parrott, he owns the AVOW site, the Another Voice of Reason website, mm -hmm. where a lot of uh, the people that, you know, you might consider their cult members, which I'm going to use that with a grain of salt, but they, uh, that's where they were congregating to visit was on the AVAL website. Well, Christopher Parrott works for Snow West and Snow West is a magazine that I believe is printed, printed by, by Bald Printing. Bald so printing. That, that, that tied that together for me. Okay. That, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, he also is listed as the president of Spring Creek Book Company, uh, which is the book company that he and his uh, deceased wife, Tammy Daybell, started 15 years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, some other things he has done. He was the chief editor of Cedar Fort Inc. in Springville, Utah. He was a regional sales manager for Access Computer Products in Provo, Utah for a couple of years. And he was a cemetery sexton in Springville, Utah for four years in the 90s. Mm -hmm. He also was a copy editor of the Standard Examiner in Ogden, Utah. He has a bachelor's degree of communications from Brigham Young University in Provo. Uh, let's see. His wife, uh, Tammy Daybell, Day died in October under some suspicious circumstances. Her, um, she was, she had a very rushed burial. The uh, authorities have deemed that um, suspicious and have exhumed her body. And there have been, uh, there has been a new autopsy done, but those um, Results have not been released. Mm -hmm. Well, an autopsy. There was no autopsy. When right. An autopsy. That's right. Yeah. And uh, he married Lori Vallow two weeks after Tammy died in Hawaii. Uh, Chad Daybell has been a rather prolific writer. Uh, he writes a lot of futuristic LDS or Mormon novels. Uh, let's see. So most of his work has been done in publishing and writing. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to share with you the mission of Spring Creek Books. This is the publishing company he and his wife, Tammy, started. The mission and purpose of the Spring Creek Book Company is to produce, market, and distribute quality products to families around the world. Our main focus is to provide entertaining and stimulating literature to provide to readers a better understanding and emotional connection with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just found that rather interesting considering mm -hmm. uh seems to have lost his way there. Yeah. Yeah. 
so that's a little bit about Chad and his background. There's not a ton of stuff known, frankly. Right. There, there should be more. Although, you know, what you're going to read for us, I think, is going to tell us a lot. It does. It does. Um, I Before I do that, though, I want to do throw in. he Chad claims to have had two uh, NDEs, two near-death mm-hmm. experiences. Yes. And that the second NDE is what... Uh, opened up the spirit world to him and that he claims that he's had one foot in both worlds ever since he has been for the last, I don't know how long, but at least the last five or 10 years, giving people prophecy, uh, telling them how many past lives they have, telling them who they were married to rating the people in their worlds on whether they are actually light or dark. Yes. Uh, you know, and, what it means to be light or dark. Like for example, Tylee was a dark big surprise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, most of the people in Chad and Lori's life who he rated as dark are now dead. Yeah. Well, if they didn't like them, they were dark. They were dark. I think. Yeah. If you really want to learn more about that, our episode called the book of Chad is where you'll find a lot more about that. But yeah, uh, so he apparently he claims that when he was a teenager he had a near death experience in a cliff gi- diving accident and again in La Jolla California when he was surfing and was hit by a big wave. I uh, I have heard from others that he had never actually told anyone or spoken about having uh, an NDE that this was news to his family too mm-hmm. until someone else told him about their near death experience and suddenly he had had two, and this is why he is so special. Yeah. There's a lot of inauthentic bullshit, I think, mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. But it, he's used it to build this strange little empire of people who see him as a prophet. He identifies mm-hmm. himself as a god. Yep. He, Lori identifies herself as a god. They've mm-hmm. taken these beliefs to an extreme that I think at this point only can be considered some kind of pathology really. Yeah. Well, it's given them permission to be, uh, to act in any way they choose and be above any kind of, you know, law of the land or morality or law of God or religion right. or above all of that because they make the rules now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 they in this whole situation have seemed to really believe that they would have no consequences, that they'd done everything that they were supposed to do, and they've done it all because they are right. And it's very interesting because as we watch this now, to see them torn down to just the rather pitiful humans that they are, sitting their asses in jail, you know, all of that grandiosity got them nowhere. Right. Yeah. It, it got them you know, labeled as the murderers that they are. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to read for you guys a section from one of Chad's books. Um, There's been a big push. There are some, um, uh, good Lord, things that you sign, petitions. Petitions. Oh my goodness. Sorry, guys. Post-thyroid life. (laughs) There's there's just not always a lot going on up here. Uh, Petitions going around to get Amazon to pull all of his books. They yeah. said they're working on it. It hasn't been done yet. Don't go buy his books. That just helps pay for his prosecution. However, some yeah. of them have a preview that you can read the beginning of them. This is a book he wrote quite a while ago. It is called One Foot in the Grave. Strange but true. 
These are stories about his life as a cemetery sexton. So he released it in 2001 after he retired as a cemetery sexton. But then he says uh, in the Great Recession, he actually ended up going back to another five years in the cemetery. So these are some stories from Chad working in the cemetery. Now, remember, we are talking about someone who has just been charged with burying the bodies of children on his property and desecrating their bodies. So listen to this with that in mind. Step inside if you dare. Are you looking for spooky stories, bizarre occurrences, and to get a tingle up your spine? If so, you have found the right place. Come inside the cemetery gate and ignore the mysterious shadows that seemingly dance away. Some people really love cemeteries, but a graveyard can be a frightening place, especially at night. Even in the most amusing settings, such as in Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, the cemetery is shown as a place where you'll get scared out of your wits. That portrayal might be on target. Let me tell you what happened to my neighbor. While she and her friends were approaching our local cemetery during a fierce snowstorm. As their car drove slowly past the cemetery gate, my neighbor saw a middle aged woman walking along the side of the road, carrying a baby in her arms. She also noticed the woman appeared terribly sad and wasn't wearing a coat, although the baby was wrapped in a small blanket. My neighbor and her friends decided to give the woman a ride. It took a few moments to turn the car around, but as they drove back towards the cemetery gate, the woman was nowhere to be seen. They parked the car and searched for her, thinking she had taken shelter under a tree, but there was one peculiar problem. The only tire tracks were the, the tire tracks were the only marks in the fresh snow. There were no footprints to be found. The snow was smooth and untouched along the road where the woman had been walking a few moments earlier. My neighbor isn't the only person to mention this sad-faced woman to me. This ghostly apparition has been seen on at least three different occasions by cemetery visitors, each time in the middle of a snowstorm. Mm. Life among the headstones. Some people just call me a grave digger. We call you lots of things, Chad, actually. We we do. (laughs) Lots of things. But my official title was Cemetery Sexton. However, a four-year-old visitor once called me the sexy one. That's inaccurate, but kind of catchy. So very, very inaccurate. Mm -hmm. Sexton is actually an English word for one who maintains church property. Since most English graveyards were originally situated next to churches, the word became linked to the cemetery maintenance workers. But if the name still seems strange, just refer to me as many cemetery visitors did. They called me the guy or call him whatever you want at this point. Feel free, you know, let her go. Let her go. Me as well. (laughs) Death is now a mystery. Death has developed a frightening reputation in our modern world. We sometimes forget that for thousands of years, the burial of loved ones was usually taken care of by the family itself. Even some of our great-grandparents were accustomed to helping bury a family member. Being asked to dig a relative's grave was commonplace. Mm -hmm. Today, we usually die in hospitals. A mortician takes away the body, and strangers handle the burial. Family members rarely see the body except at a brief viewing 
which adds to the feeling of mystique and disconnection from the deceased. But death and burial are things we all face in our families, some more than others. Mm. And a little education on the subject is better than the confusion and fear I saw among so many funeral participants. So in these pages, I will debunk many graveyard myths, toss in a few true stories from around the world, and share some of my own experiences that leave little doubt that something awaits us beyond this life. I hope it is an eye-opening experience for you. Oh, Chad, it is. Mm -hmm. How low do you go? You may have heard that when a person is buried, he is six feet under. That depth is more a myth than a fact. Actually, we dig the hole about five feet deep, which is sufficient. The days are long gone when you could wrap a body in a blanket and bury it along a trail or a cave, unless you're Chad Daybell. Mm-hmm. This all makes me so mad, but I think it's mm-hmm. worth reading. Yeah, I know. It's horrifying, but it does mm-hmm. put into context why he was able to do this. Uh-huh. Today, nearly all communities require that burials take place in, in a cemetery and a person's casket must be placed in a concrete vault. The typical burial vault is eight feet long, three feet wide, and three feet tall with the lid on. That means the top of the vault is about two feet below the ground once the burial is complete. I have had to unearth a few burials, and I assure you that two feet of soil on the vault top is plenty. Yeah. Disappearing dirt. When we dug a grave, the backhoe operator put the dirt in a dump truck and hauled it away. Once the funeral was over, we brought the dirt back and dumped it into the hole. We then tamped the dirt down and replaced the sod. You know, pulling up the sod to cover your tracks. As you do, if you're Chad Daybell. Some cemeteries just pile the dirt next to the hole and cover it with the tarp, but it's harder to clean up that way. Of course, not every burial goes smoothly. The following incident happened during my first week as a part-time cemetery employee. The sexton and I had just buried a wealthy older woman when we saw the funeral hearse come speeding back down the road toward us. The mortician hopped out and breathlessly shouted, Hold everything! The family wants her wedding ring. We were already tired. We protested, but we finally agreed to redig the grave. 20 minutes later, we had removed enough soil to carefully lift off the vault with the vault lid with the backhoe. Once the lid was out of the way, the mortician hopped down into the hole and opened the casket. There the old lady lay, as peaceful as a dove. The mortician grabbed her lifeless hand and tugged mightily on that cherished ring. After a lengthy struggle, he finally worked the ring off her stiff finger. He put her hand back where it had previously rested and shut the casket. He angrily climbed out of the hole and said, Sorry about that. The family should have decided they wanted the ring before she was in the ground. Seeing that woman's body shook me up for a few days. And I was glad to learn that redigging a grave is a rare occurrence. The incident also showed me that grave robbing isn't a viable option in this modern era. Such a task is basically impossible to do without a backhoe. Even then, it is too much work. What would you take? Some jewelry and gold fillings? Don't waste your time. And it goes on. 
but I felt like that was the most interesting part of this as far as that, you know, who yeah. we know now to be, and maybe helps us understand a little bit his desensitization, desen wow, how desensitized he is, there we go, Yeah. to, to <laughs> dead bodies, Yes. To death, <coughs> oh, pardon me, to the idea that uh, most of us go, how in the world could anyone do this? Well, right. he was a little desensitized, I think. He had experience, as it turns out. Yeah. 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 So he has yeah. lots of books. And, you know, like I said, don't go buy them. But if you mm. go find and read some of the beginnings, it will give you some pretty interesting uh, peeks into who he was and what his beliefs were mm. about the world descending into chaos, about the church, the LDS church becoming corrupt because he believes that the LDS church is now corrupt and why pretty interesting stuff We're, we won't do it all on the air. It's, that gets boring, but go check it yeah. out. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, since he was arrested, um, his attorney has filed some court filings, a few things. Yeah. He has his preliminary hearing on July 1st, July mm -hmm. 1st and 2nd. Um, the first thing that they filed was an intent to plead not guilty. And he has asked for a jury trial, which I find really interesting. There's going to be a lot of trouble with getting a jury trial with getting an impartial jury, frankly, I mean, this case is so huge here. I'm, I'm really curious to see how this is going to be. And you have to understand right, well, this is tiny. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, there's the, lots of rumors that the case will be moved away from here. It will, something. it will probably have to be, this is tiny little Fremont County. They've probably never had a case like this ever, ever. No. Um, and, you know, the the attorney general's office had already stepped in in investigating Chad on the death of his wife, which he has not been charged with yet, mm -hmm. because this was a little bigger than what this county is equipped to do. Yeah. Um, well, and the prosecuting attorney is retiring. Right. And so here. And so they actually appointed Madison County's prosecuting attorney yeah. who that's rob woods so rob woods who is already prosecuting lori in yeah. madison county is now pros also prosecuting chad in fremont county which i thought was a very interesting move very interesting uh, but it does make sense because they know these cases are joined uh -huh. they they're not ch chad and lori are charged with completely different things and they are sitting in different county jails and so mm -hmm. the connection has not been made yet but it will be i believe some of the discovery that his attorney asked for i think is indicating you know that they're expecting that to happen anytime one of the things they asked for was any recordings of any potential co-defendants yeah which we know lori will be a co-defendant eventually um, probably, I don't know, unless they keep them separate completely. And it's possible. It doesn't, they don't have to join the cases necessarily, but no. it, it will be interesting to see. They also asked for, um, any items that have been taken, um, that are evidence against Chad. So interesting because in January, uh, there was a search warrant served at Chad's house in mm -hmm. which they took nearly 50 items from the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of information that came from that house. And so they're trying to get a feel for what the prosecution's case is, what they have against him. I'm mm -hmm. um, sure they're trying to decide how they, they pin all of this on the dead guy. You know, we, we have no doubt that Alex Cox, um, Lori's 
brother who died in December uh, will will take the heat for this, will take the blame for this, or at least the potential will be for that, that they will try that. Absolutely. Well, when they searched his house back in January, they did, uh, you know, understand this is Idaho. There was a lot of snow this year. So there yeah. was a lot of snow on the ground. They didn't search the whole property. So, you Very know, there are definitely those. Uh, yeah, I can't believe they didn't discover the kids back in January. There's no possible way that was happening. But and they didn't come in with dogs either, you know, but they did have metal detectors that they were searching the front yard with which I thought was kind of interesting mm-hmm. and, and the driveway in the side yard. So anyhow, uh, yeah, they, they, but they did walk out with quite a bit of evidence then. And one thing that I have heard is that there is so much more evidence than the public is aware of. Oh, I'm it's sure. going to come out in, in court. You know, a lot of people have followed this case really closely and think that they know quite a lot about it. You know, we think we do. And yet there's so much more to come. They've kept it really close, mm-hmm. They've been really as, careful. which is good because the, the start of this, of these cases with Charles's death and Tammy's death were really botched. Um, and I think they want to yeah. make sure that doesn't happen again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and yet, and yet they let Chad sit in his driveway, not in cuffs and chill out while they were searching his property for dead children. And that kind of, uh, comes into the last part of what we wanted to talk about today and yeah. that is chad's privilege and, yes. and part of maybe why we are where we are today with mm-hmm. this situation yeah i it, it's really important and it's something that i think that we need to address and and i'm sure that this exists in every community to some extent but chad is a white male mormon man now some people say well he's not a mormon anymore he's been excommunicated he has however he still has that persona mm-hmm. in the community. And you have to understand that in this community, white male Mormons can do no wrong. Yeah. I mean, it really is that we live in a very naive place that thinks that if you're a Mormon and you have all these beliefs that Mormons have, that first of all, you would never do something so terrible. Uh-huh. Uh, also, because you're a man, you have authority. Uh-huh. And so no one has the right to question you. Mm-hmm. or, or um, you know, treat you with suspicion. Right. Um, that courtesy was given to him right up to the point that they were searching his property for bodies. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that that courtesy was has... To him right until he got in his car and drove away. Yeah, it was. I mean, the fact that he was allowed to be in his car with keys during this, it's insane. But it's not surprising to me. You know, no. um, I, I've worked in domestic violence and sexual assault in this community. And I will tell you that there's so much covered up. There's oh, yeah. so much that it's just handled within the Mormon church. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to get the law involved and we don't need to, you know, get the community. We don't, the, we don't need to share other people's dirty laundry. That kind of crap goes mm-hmm. on here to the point that this has gone on for this long, Absolutely. you know, clear back what last fall, last late summer, Chad was telling people that he was the real Mormon prophet. Now, if you don't know about Mormons, Mormon, the president of the Mormon church is a prophet. He is believed to be someone who speaks for God and that there's only one prophet. And Chad was tricking people into coming to his house in order to tell them that he was the real prophet. Um, 
that's how we got excommunicated, excuse me, from the Mormon church is because that, that's a big no-no. There can only be one prophet. He was actually in a role of leadership within his, his ward, which would be his kind of like his parish or, you his know, his congregation. congregation. Yeah. yeah, he was at that time. But this is the level of ego that this person has. He's a prophet. He's mm-hmm. told people he's a god. He has one foot in both worlds. So he knows things. I've heard this several times. Mm-hmm. He knows things that other people don't know. Mm-hmm. Right up to the point of that July 22nd is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ in the beginning right. of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have long believed that Lori fully believes this and has just been biding her time in jail, fully believing that this will happen on July 22nd. And then none of this will matter. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, he has it's also all crashing told down. many women, many, many women mm-hmm. uh, that they're, they're kind of coming out of the woodwork now. Yes, they are. That they were married in a past life. Yes. And that, uh, you know, there are Lori and one other woman, uh, Julie Rowe, who mm-hmm. both, claim that uh, he sealed himself to them in this lifetime. And I know if you've heard that, you probably don't know what the hell that is. You might not. Mormons have a ceremony that they do in their temple to seal themselves to one another for a time in all eternity. Yeah, it's a marriage ceremony. A marriage ceremony. and But a long-term one, not a lifetime only one. Right. That, uh, you know, typically is done with one person. You know, I mean, yes, Mormons practice polygamy back in the day they don't anymore but chad it appears was maybe sealing himself or trying to to multiple women besides Lori. yes interestingly uh it seems like it was a bad pickup line that was working it did uh at one point i know he told Lori that she was his favorite wife yes in other lives his favorite wife his favorite wife i mean flattery please right give me a break but this is this is the community that we live in. This idea yeah. that this white, good church going man, sorry, <laughs> it punched my <laughs> microphone, um, you know, probably, you know, just couldn't really have done anything like this. I'll tell you the other reason that I think these things happen. And that is because there are plenty of other white church going men around here that have plenty of their own secrets. Yeah. And so they don't like seeing somebody go down the way they could go down. And I don't mean everyone, and I don't mean it to be disrespectful. There are lots of great people who live here, but I will tell you in my experience working in domestic violence and sexual assault, that there are plenty of bad guys in this community who are seen publicly as good guys. Yep. With secrets that just continue to make this community sick. Yep. This community is so sick now that children have been murdered and, and adults have been murdered and people look the other way. If you yes. want to understand that level of privilege, look at Melanie Gibb. Yeah. Melanie Gibb, who was Lori's best friend, who was good friends with Chad, who is another Mormon woman who actually came here like right before JJ disappeared, like within a day or so of her leaving, JJ was done. Mm-hmm. And knew that Lori and Chad were having an affair. She was going with them, walking every morning while they were hugging and kissing and holding hands in public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she didn't tell anybody. She didn't even think that perhaps she should maybe say something to, I don't know, Chad's wife. Now, understand, affairs in the Mormon church are, that is an extremely serious offense. Get you kicked out. 
Yeah, and yet she was hesitant. When Lori told her that J.J. had turned into a zombie and that she didn't want him anymore, she helped her make a plan to send him elsewhere. Yep. It didn't occur to her that she should say something to an authority that maybe yeah. this kid was in danger. I'm not saying it's Melanie's fault, but I am saying that it is that same secret keeping, keeping us sick kind of attitude that we're just going to keep everything on the DL that created this mess in the first place. Oh, it so is. I mean, you think about here, here's another example of it for you. When Chad's wife died mysteriously overnight, just woke up dead. No medical concerns, no, no outward physical cause, you know, no idea. What do they do? When he says, no, I don't want an autopsy, they say, oh, okay, and help to make sure that he gets to bury her in another state in three days. Nobody thought that was fishy. Seriously. Right. Nobody stood up to Chad and said, no, she's having an autopsy. Well, they could have. They, they absolutely could have. They could have the the coroner could have said, nah, this seems interesting. I don't know what's going on here. I wanna I wanna know what's happened. But no, but the they coroner was a woman. His word. Yep. A woman, I believe a fairly young woman. She wasn't going to go up against Chad. Nope. That authority, that idea of authority is has, you know, of this white male authority in our community is so destructive. It's such a cancer here. And you can see it all over the place in this case. In some ways, I feel like that's gotten better over the years. That was something that our mom was absolutely, you know, railed against, you know, with both barrels. But in this case, this feels as archaic as ever. It does. It absolutely does. Uh, I don't think it's gotten nearly as much better as we would like it to be. I think that it's gotten a little more secretive. I think that it's gotten a little more you know, kept quiet even more. But that idea of this brotherhood of men in this mm-hmm. religion, white men yep. who will protect each other, mm-hmm. is very real in our Absolutely. community. And it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And and Absolutely. not just not just men, but women as well, obviously, as we can see. But right. men who have their own skeletons mm-hmm. who will protect other men. Right. Well, think about there's two things that really came up for me in this. First of all, the other members of leadership in his church, in his ward, that excommunicated him from the church, right? This all happened not very long around, right around the time that Tammy died, right? Mm-hmm. Probably. So they have a man. After the children were already dead. Yeah. And they have a man who's in their office spouting stuff to them that sounds so crazy that they kick him out of their church and yet his wife dies under very odd circumstances and they say and do nothing. Right. He gets remarried two weeks le- later. His wife, nothing. Right. His wife, who he said to multiple people in this community, she's going to die. Right. I know she's going to die. He had been prophesizing her death for nearly a year. Yeah. And had said that to, yes, many people, people on the AVAL website, he had been prophesizing this for quite some time. Tammy dies and nobody says, wait a minute. Right? She was 49, you guys, and in good health. And nobody questioned it. Her own children did not question it. Okay? There are five of them and they're adults. Mm -hmm. 
And they did not question it. No, because dad said. Yep. Right? Dad said. And that's all it took. Chad said. That's all it took. Out of respect for Chad, nobody said shit. Yeah, because who cares about uh, about Tammy, apparently? Yeah. out of respect why not out of respect for the person who died you know yeah. why not out of respect for her we're going to do an autopsy and figure out what happened here yeah the fact that it was allowed to go on this long and this many people dead now it's yeah. it's just sickening to me it is it is we have to do better this community yeah. has to do better it's not just this one we know that you know, the ball was dropped in Arizona by the police there so many times. This could oh. have all been avoided. Yeah. Uh, that's a, no sh- a show for another day. But we hope that that gives you a little more insight into the culture of this community yeah. and into how some of this managed to fly under the radar and happen and why and maybe what needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So we're going to wrap this show up with something that's maybe a little more feel good, and that's that. Here in Rexburg, in this community, there have been some very sweet things done on behalf of the kids. And one and of Charles things, and Tammy. And Charles and Tammy. Um, there have been a couple of candlelight vigils. Many people have been out to Chad's house to where the kids were found and hung things on the fence. Um, teddy bears and flowers and, you know, memoriams of whatever sort. There's all kinds of things out there. Um, and... We had set up a little community memorial space at a local park for people to come and leave, you know, and light a candle or leave something. And that stayed for almost a week before the mayor asked us to take it down. Um, So it's it's down now, but we were able to take it down on our terms so that we could hold on to a lot of beautiful things that were given to, you know, on behalf of these families so that we can get those things to, you know, to Kay and Larry and to Annie and to Colby and, you know, let them share in that. Um, So we're going to end this with sharing a little footage of the candlelight vigil that was held in Rexburg and the memorial and a few of those things that uh, people have done. They have been tying blue and white ribbons in the trees around here as a remembrance of the kids as well. There are things happening, you know, our our community is heartbroken. Uh, We are horrified. And we're going to continue to push for justice, not just for Tylee and JJ, but most especially for them, but mm-hmm. also, of course, for Tammy, for Charles, and for Joseph. Yeah. And I don't know what to say about Alex. I yeah. I don't know what to say about Alex, but that's where we are. So, you guys, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, you have either listened to this as a podcast or you've watched it on YouTube. We want you to let you know that we do broadcast this in both places. We are uh, True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters in both places. We also have a Patreon account. If you want to become a sponsor, you get a little extra content from us every month that nobody else gets. And it just helps us to keep going and continue to bring shows to you. And we'll be back next, uh, you know, with one of our true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters style shows uh, where we'll do some uh, psychic work on a case, not this one, but another one. So that's what we have going on. Anything I didn't mention. Uh, no, I did want to say that we have created categories for our show. So the Daybell Bell case has its own playlist so that you can see those shows. If you really want to see our psychic shows, they are in the true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters 
playlist. So you can separate them out. Cause I know some people are like, we really wanted to see the psychic stuff. Other people are like, we are here for this case. So uh-huh. yeah. we're trying to make it easier for you. Right. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're here to serve. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. please like comment, share those things help us a lot. And yeah. thanks for being here. You know, we really appreciate you guys and we'll be back. So you've been listening to true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters. Have a good day guys. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.